Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Well, this morning, we're going to continue the series in Ephesians, but I got an article sent to me the other day, and I'm always looking for different places to go from vacation and do different things. And this person sent me this article on uh, Route 1 in California. I don't know, if, has anybody traveled Route 1 on the coast of California? Good. Maybe we'll all go at the same time. Route 1, California travels the coast, and down the coast of California, there's a lot of curves and sharp turns and um, hills and valleys, and there's a mountain on one side, and there's the ocean on the other side. And as I was reading it, I looked up trip advisory just to see what people would say about it. And this person was asking a question, is it safe? Is it safe to drive it? So I'm going to read you this person's response, and it's titled Amazing Scenic Drive. And where they put Route 1, I'm going to put life, because as I was reading it, it really described life to me. It says this, I had the pleasure of traveling on life, and what a journey. I was so nervous to drive it, but what an experience. It was beautiful, but dangerous at the same time. Life has some sharp turns and epic mountains on one side and cliffs on the other. Beautiful and dangerous at the same time. There are signs to follow and guardrails for safety, and if you do it the right way and obey the laws, you will have a safe journey and you will enjoy the drive. But if you choose to drive recklessly in life, you'll find yourself in trouble. Isn't that kind of a cool illustration how this person is asking, is it safe? They, they want to know if they could take their family and drive this course, drive down this highway. Person responds is, yeah, it's safe if you follow the rules. Is there some challenges? Yes, there's some challenges. Is there some sharp turns? Is there some opportunities where you could find yourself getting in trouble? Yes, absolutely. And if I could sit with you personally, I would say that's the same thing with life, isn't it? That you have an opportunity to go through life and there's some sharp turns. There's some things that maybe you don't expect that, that was coming your way. But if you obey the rules, obey the laws, you'll be safe. And in life, there's guardrails. We find the guardrails in our life through God's word. This morning, we're gonna talk through God's word in Ephesians. Before we get to it, uh, Jeremy's been painting a picture, of, of, of delivering great messages on the first three or four chapters. First three chapters of Ephesians kind of tells us what Christ has done for us and our identity in Christ and what, he's, what foundations he has laid. And then we get in chapter four, five, and six, and it starts talking to, the, about the practicality Basically, this is what God did for you. Now do this, chapters four, five, and six. And as I was thinking through it and studying through this thing, I was thinking, why do we obey? Why do we obey God? What, I mean, what, what's the, what drives us to obey God? And as I was thinking through it, I was thinking, well, really it kind of boils down to trust. That this morning when you walked in, you sat down in a chair and you have all your weight in the chair. That means you completely trust the chair, right? None of you, I looked at the chair. None of you looked at the welding of the chair. None of you got the screwdriver out and checked to make sure the screws was good. No, you put all your trust in the chair. 
And as I was thinking about this trust, I was thinking, well, it seems like trust leads to behavior. Like if I fully trust the chair, my behavior is I'm gonna sit in the chair. That through life, whatever we trust is what we're gonna, our, our behavior is gonna reflect that. So I started studying Proverbs. Proverbs chapter three. And it kind of sets the tone. You know Proverbs is the book of wisdom and it tells you some great things about, about practical stuff that you can apply to your life. In Proverbs chapter three, I think this is the foundation we need to build upon. Proverbs chapter three, verse five says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That, that, that means to trust him entirely. That means you don't hold anything back. Again, like when you came in, you sat in and shared holy. You put everything in it. Now, this may be get kind of crude or whatever, but you know when you go to a public restroom and you do the 90-degree squat, you know what I'm talking about? You don't want to trust the toilet. You don't know what's on it. You don't know if it's going to hold you. You don't want to want to touch it. I know it sounds crazy and gross, but you don't, you don't trust it. So you don't put your weight on it. So I started listing these things, things that we trust, okay? Now, now listen, trust leads to behavior. You trust a chair, you sit in it. You trust money, what's your behavior? You save, you work, you accumulate. You trust your spouse, your behavior is that you open your life, you open your heart to them. You trust yourself, the behaviors that you kind of just pull up to your bootstraps and take charge and make decisions. You trust others and the behaviors that you seek counsel, maybe Google or seek approval from other people. If we trust God, our behavior is obedience. If the Lord leads us to do something, we do it and we're obedient because we trust him. We, uh, my wife and I took our kids um, snowboarding or skiing several years ago. Uh, my wife and I have skied and never snowboarded. And my kids never snowboard, so we wanted to get them into a class. And we walk up and we get their snowboard and the guy asked them, my boys said, are you regular foot or goofy foot? Now, I never knew what that meant because I'm not a snowboarder. And my kids didn't know what it was and they were like, I don't know. So the instructor said, well, let me tell you what we're gonna do. I just want you to stand with your feet towards me and just look towards me and I'm gonna push you. And we're thinking, okay, whatever. So he pushes them and whatever foot went back is what foot goes back when you're snowboarding. It's the foot, it's a leg that you trust, what goes back. So we had one son that was a regular foot, one son that was a goofy foot. Goofy foot means that your right foot is in front. And I was thinking through that and I was thinking, well, that's kind of cool that they determine it by pushing it, pushing somebody. And I wonder if that really applies to us today. That if the Lord pushes us in something, and the first thing that we fall back on, that is what we trust. That if we get pushed in life, and the first thing that you go to, that is what you trust. If there's a challenging time in your life, and the first thing you go to is Google, that's what you trust. If you have a challenging time in your life and you don't know what to do, what decision to make, and you ask your grandpa, the way your grandpa is who you trust. That at times in our life, when we get pushed, if we don't fall back on the Lord first, I may be stepping out of bounds when I'm saying this, but I don't know if you fully trust him. I think it's possible for us to believe in God, but not trust him. I believe it's possible that we can believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, gives us life, but we don't trust him at all. 
And it seems like through our life and through scripture, the, what he's challenging us to do is just trust me. Just trust me. Trust me with your salvation. Trust me with your everyday of life. Proverbs 3, 5 says, just trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It doesn't say that you shouldn't have your own understanding. It doesn't say that you have your, shouldn't have your own knowledge. I think all that's good, but if you rely upon it, that's when it gets yourself in trouble. When you rely upon your own understanding, that becomes, the focus becomes you and not God. I did a counseling uh, thing with this couple a couple weeks ago outside the church. And the husband comes to me and he, we're talking and he's struggling with his relationship with his wife. And we finally boil it down to this, is that over the course of a year, year and a half, the wife, every time there was something about the house, car, finances, life, she would go and she would consult three other men. And then she would come to her husband and say, this is what we should do because this guy said it and this guy said it and this guy said it. And it came to the time where the, the husband's like, okay, I'm done. I mean, if you don't trust me, if you're not including me in the decision, then what, where, where's the relationship? That when we get pushed in life, sometimes we don't really want to rely upon the Lord. We don't want to call upon the Lord. We want to call upon somebody else, somebody else's understanding, somebody else's knowledge. You know, I'm convinced that you can be... Um, Old, older, and have no wisdom. I always thought, in my, when growing up, I thought people that were up in the age were wise. Uh, that's not the case. And I also thought, hey, if you go to school, you get wise. No, that's not the case either. You're just gaining wisdom, gaining knowledge. I think you can be a moron and then go to college and come out of college being a smart moron. It, it, it doesn't, doesn't make wisdom, doesn't make you wise. So if we lean on our own understanding, we get ourselves in trouble. Then he goes on, he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. That is to submit to him, seek his counsel. Whatever he says goes, walk wisely. So if I, if I could sit down with you and I say, here's just one nugget of advice, just walk wisely. What does that mean? I'm gonna include Jesus in everything, in every decision. If you wanna get married, include him in that decision. If you wanna buy a house, include him in that decision. Walk wisely, include him in everything. But I think it gets us to the point where we say, well, okay, I, I can do that. I, I can try to include him in my life. But I feel like he doesn't answer. I've included him in my troubles, but I feel like I'm still in the same trouble. I've included him in my marriage, and my marriage is still falling apart. I've included him in, in my finances, and I'm still broke. I've included him in things, and I feel like it's just not, it's not happening. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation or not. I think the answer, it's not up on the screen, but I think the answer is found in James. And James, he's talking to a group of fellow Christians, and he says this to them, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. That's saying, Jesus, all my chips are in on you. I'm going to follow you. If you say go, I'll go. If you tell me to wait, I'll wait. I'm going to just follow you. I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to doubt because I trust you. 
But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I include him and nothing happens. I call out to him and nothing happens. I'm staying in the same situation that I was in my marriage and my finances and I'm just kind of going back and forth. That person, and James says this, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I, I'm a why person. Like I drove my parents crazy because I was always why. And I still do that to God. Now, why? When I read something in God's word, I go, why? And I read a truth and I go, how? How do I apply that? Why should I apply that? And I'm looking at this truth in James saying, this person is so double-minded, they go just kind of go one way and the other way. And I feel like for us, we're in that situation where we pray for something and it doesn't happen. We'll pray for it again and nothing happens and we start going this back and forth. And let me tell you what the struggle is. The struggle is that you don't fully trust God. The struggle is, is that you say, okay, I'm gonna give God this thing and if he doesn't act as I want him to act and when I want him to act, I'll take it over. When it comes to trust, this is what it seems like, that we'll start with ourselves and we'll work our way backwards towards God. That the only time we start trusting God is when we exhausted everything of ourselves and we exhausted everything, everybody around us and we exhausted Google, we exhausted our friends, we exhausted our counsel, we exhausted our counselor, we exhausted everything. We get to the point where we go, okay, God. And we're double-minded. And we're going back and forth and nothing's getting done because we don't trust him. For us to be obedient, I think it starts with trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust him in your work? Do you trust him in your finances? The tension that's going on now, do you trust him going on? Does, do you trust him? Do you, do you put your faith in him? We're going to get to Ephesians chapter 5, continuing the, serve, the, the message series. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul's been talking about the basis of the Christian life and what um, God has done for you. And then we transitioned to chapter 4 and chapter 5 about practical stuff. And all the stuff that we're going to read, we're not going to be effective unless we trust God. Ephesians chapter five, verse one says, follow God's example, therefore as dearly, dearly loved children. Now, I don't know what your, your translation says. Some translations say, be imitators of God, be followers of God. There's different translations, but the, here, here's what that noun means. In, in the Greek, it means that it's a continuous state. So if your translation says follower or imitator, that means it's a continuous state means that what, however your relationship is now with God should not be the same a month from now. That where you are now in your relationship with God shouldn't be the same from now on. That's a continuous thing. That we're becoming imitators of him. We're becoming followers of him, meaning that when we are in a relationship with him, he'll reveal things to us and we start giving it to him and he starts working in it. And then he goes, gets through that, and he says, oh, here's something else, and we start working in that, being imitators of God. Verse two, 
and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now the walk here is, is your outlook of life. What you're doing at the grocery store. What you're doing at work. Are you walking it out? Are you living it? It's, it's how you treat the umpire at your son's baseball game. It's what you're putting on your Facebook posts. It's how you're treating your spouse when you're tired and you don't wanna talk to them. It's, it's how you're treating your kids when they frustrate you. It's how you're treating your neighbor when they blow the leaves on your lawn. That's the walk that he's talking about. That if we walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. And here's the greatest evidence of Jesus' love for you. You wanna know what it is? You know what the greatest evidence of his love for you? Is forgiveness. That is his greatest evidence that he shows he loves us, that he's willing to forgive us. And Paul's saying, I want you to walk in that love. I want you to walk, I want you to demonstrate it. So this is for us, ready? This may hit. The depth of your love for Jesus is expressed in your willingness to forgive. That your depth of love for Jesus is expressed in your willingness to forgive. I don't know what has happened to you. I don't know what your spouse has done. I don't know what your in-laws have done. I don't know what your employer or employees have done. But for us to walk as Jesus walked, the first thing that we give is forgiveness. Doesn't matter what came to your mind then. You're thinking, well, you don't know, or they did this, forgive. You see, it's unmerited forgiveness. That's what Jesus modeled. That Jesus didn't look at it and say, you've gotta earn my forgiveness. No, I'm just gonna willingly give it. But we live in a society that wants details and I wanna know what's going on and tell me, tell me the dirt and all that kind of stuff. And here's Jesus, this is his model. He's in front of a group of men that's picking up stones. They were gonna, they were gonna kill this lady for adultery. Jesus walks up on the scene and he says, wait, 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 wait. Who, who, everybody's kind of sinned here, but who, ha, who hasn't sinned? Let him throw the first stone. He didn't stop and say, well, let, me, let me find out the situation. Tell me the details. Tell me the gory details. No, he, he didn't talk about details. All he wanted to express was forgiveness. Stop looking for details. Be quicker to give forgiveness. The depth of your love for Jesus is expressed through your willingness to forgive unconditionally, unmerited. That Jesus shows us unconditional love to us by being patient, being kind to us, being loving, being gracious. Verse three says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now the word improper there, it means unfit. So, so here's the difference. God has rescued us, God has saved us, and we are walking with him because we're his child. And he looks at us and says, all those other things are unfit for my children. That, that means like if I put on a 
small size shirt. I wear extra large. If I wear a small size shirt, it does not fit and it's unfitting, okay? It doesn't fit and it's unfitting. What does that mean? That's pretty gross. You don't wanna see me in a small shirt. It's unfitting, it's gross, it's nasty. That's how Jesus looks at it. He says, listen, I've given you life and there shouldn't be a hint of all this stuff because it's unfitting. It doesn't fit. Number one, it doesn't fit. That's not the way I designed you. That's not what I did in your life. And it's unfitting, it's gross. It's gross. Don't have any of that in your life. It's unfitting. That our lifestyles should reflect our trust. Do you trust God? And you're thinking, well, I've got this need in my life. Have you given it to him? I need, I need money to do this. Have you given him that desire? Have you given him that struggle? Do you fully trust him? Verse four, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Verse five, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So the first three verses he's talking to us as followers of Christ, he says, hey, listen, there shouldn't be any hint of this stuff in you because I've taken that away and you're a new creation. You're being an imitator of me. And if you're an imitator of me, I don't have this greed. I don't have this lust in my life. But here's a contrast. If you don't have Christ in your life, verse five, for this reason, oh, immoral, impure, greedy person has no place in the kingdom of God. Can I set you free on something? When I've realized this truth, it really gave me more peace. Don't get so mad and frustrated and hateful towards people that don't have Jesus in their life. You get so mad and hateful towards them by the way they act and the decisions they make. We get so mad at them but they don't have Jesus. Look at them as a person that, man, they don't, they don't have a governor in their life. They don't have a person in their life that's controlling them, that's directing them. They do have a person that's Satan. And we get so mad at them for what they do and what they say and how they act, but they don't have Jesus in their life. When I understood that truth, it brought a lot of peace to me because I'm looking at the person not as a person that's contrary to me, I look at him as a person that needs Jesus. So Paul says, man, that none of that stuff is in your life because you're a new creation. You're a new creature. You have a place in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Why should we not be partners with them? Because it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. It's not fitting. Verse eight. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Now, if in this room, been in this church many times at night, and it's a spooky place at night, when the lights are out, there's nothing going on. There's a lot of creaks and 
cracks and you hear everything and you feel like everybody's behind you, sneaking up behind you. It's a spooky place because it's dark. Our job is to simply walk as Jesus walked. Our job is to be the light of this world. And in this building, if, it, if you're here at night, you walk in it, you'll see not much light, but you'll see an exit light. And you gravitate towards the exit light. Why? Because there's light. There's some kind of light. If you got trapped into a tunnel, and you got into a tunnel and there's just darkness, and you started traveling in the tunnel and you're trying to find your way out, and you just spend a week or two weeks in it, and you're getting to the point where I don't see anything other than darkness, and you don't know where to go, and you're thinking life is over. And all of a sudden you see just a little pin light in the distance, and you fumble your way towards it to get to the light, and you step out, and your life has changed. But what we find sometimes as followers of Jesus, that on this journey of life, Route 1 in California, that we decide to ignore the rules, ignore the guardrails, take life on our own, and we end up getting wrecked. We come out of the tunnel into the light and we go, man, this is great, but I kind of missed being in the tunnel. And you find yourself going both ways and you're kind of just double-minded. And Paul's here saying, listen, guys, listen, that, the, the whole darkness thing, that was the past. Now you're a child of light. And as we walk into our society, when we walk into our work, there should be a difference between us and them. Verse nine says, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And I love how verse 10 says this. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now here, when I went through um, premarital counseling, uh, Mr. Dave Gillette did our premarital counseling uh, 25 plus years ago. And I remember him saying, find out what your wife likes. Find out what your husband likes. If, if they like it, then, then move in that direction. If they don't like it, then if you want to have a fight, move to that direction. If I love my wife enough to know what kind of flower she likes, if I love my wife enough to know where she, the kind of food she wants to eat or what her favorite color is, if I love my wife that, that much to do that, that, that says something. If I love and trust Jesus enough, I wanna know what he likes. What, what are you interested in? What, what are you passionate about? Because I wanna get involved in that. My wife loves teaching. What can I do to help you get involved in that? And I get excited when she asks me to get involved in it. This week she asked, she said, we're having to decorate our doors for Christmas. Can you give me an idea? Dude, I love that because that was something that she was interested in and she needed help. I'm in. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm interested in this. Would you, would you join me? And our heartbeat is, yes, I'm in. But for many of us, we're like, ah, I don't have time. Find out what the Lord, what pleases the Lord. Verse 11, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds or, or darkness, but rather expose them. Now, some of you in this room, y'all love the expose them part. 
that you love to point out people's faults. You love to point out what they're doing. But what this really means is that as you walk your life, you are so different that it's drastically different that people go, wait a second. He's not participating in stuff that we're doing at work. She's not doing this. That our walk is so bright that we're children of light, where our walk is so bright that it's such a stark contrast that they look at it and go, wait a minute, there's a difference between you and the difference between me. That's the exposure. But a lot of times we as Christians, we get in trouble because we want to expose things. We want to say, this is what they're doing. They shouldn't be doing this. And we're anti this and anti that. Instead of what Jesus is calling us is to do this, just walk it. Just walk it. Sometimes the best testimony is to shut your mouth and just walk it. Sometimes that's the best way to influence somebody at work is don't participate in the gossip and the, the talking and the core stuff. Just shut your mouth and walk the walk. Verse 12. It is shameful even to mention what is disobedient they do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is where it boils down to this, I think is to us in America. This is us here in Ola. It comes down to this verse 14. Here's Jesus saying, listen, I've given you everything. I've given you my life. Do you trust me? Do you trust me with what's going on? Don't just trust me for your eternity. Do you trust me today? If you trust me, there's gonna be some behavior there. There's gonna be some obedience. And as Jesus is looking at us, he's saying, listen, I just want you to simply walk. I want you to walk it out. Verse 14. I think he's saying this to us here in Ola, at your home. Wake up. Wake up. All you that are sleeping, it's time to wake up. If I, if I was coaching you on the football team or baseball team, I would say, come on. Wake up, let's go, wake up. It's time to stop playing around. It's time to go. It's time to play. It's time to walk it out. Wake up, you sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Here's the challenge. Jesus is looking at you and saying, this is what I've done for you. This is how I equipped you. This is how I saved you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to walk it out. Wake up. Come on, wake up. There's so much darkness around us. It's time for us to walk as children of light. You know, Scripture says that we are to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God, right? You've heard that? I think it's time for us to stop giving to Caesar what is God's and stop taking what is Caesar's and put it onto God. 
It's time for us to walk the truth, live the truth. Because if we do, we're gonna be different. We're gonna be bright. There's gonna be a difference in your family. There's gonna be a difference at your work. My prayer is that there would be a difference in our world. That we have people that walk the truth. That have woken up. Paul's talking to a group of people. And he says, guys, listen. Time's running out. World's dark. And if Paul could see our world today, I believe his words would be, time's running out. The world is very dark. And we need us at Sharon to impact our Ola community, our Henry County, around our community for him. Walk it out. How do I walk it out? I want to challenge you on something. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Are you willing to give him it all? If you got pushed today, health, finances, relationships, work, whatever it is, if you got challenged and you got pushed, what are you falling back on? What is the first thing you're falling back on? Is it him? If not, I want to challenge you. Trust him. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, Lord, I've been challenged in my level of trust. Lord, you've called us to do things. You've called us to be obedient. You've called us to um, be a difference maker in this world. You've called us to be salt and light. You've called us to be um, different Many times in our life, Lord, when it comes down to what career that do I do, what job do I take, how do I handle my finances, how do I handle my relationships, Lord, we call out to everything before we call out to you. Father, we just want to pause right now. I want to tell you that we trust you. I don't know what's around the next curve. I don't know if there's going to be a cliff. I don't know if there's going to be a guardrail to protect us. I don't know what's going to be there. But God, even if there's nothing, I trust you. For all of us in this room, we know of today. We kind of know what's going on right now. We don't know what kind of phone call we'll get when we get home or what kind of challenge we'll face in the next day or so. Father, I just pray that we would be people that trust you with all of our heart. 
that we stop leaning on our own understanding and we include you in everything. And when we do that, Lord, I'm convinced that we'll be children of the light, that we'll make a difference, that we'll be seen as difference makers. Father, help us to be quick to forgive, quick to love. We thank you so much for the grace that you show us and the forgiveness that you pour out on us. Thank you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you all so much for coming. If you're interested in helping uh, with the church and give, there's going to be some people at the door taking up an offering if you're interested in that. To my left over here is Jeff Ayers uh, in the gathering place. So if you need any information about the church, that's the place to go to, and he could help you out. God bless you, and have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday.